We want to turn back in your Bibles to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. I ask you to continue to pray for me. Pray that the Spirit would bless. It's um, an interesting thing studying the Word of God and preparing for preaching because sometimes it's as though the, the words jump off from the pages. And then there are other times when you just kind of study along, meandering through. I've likened studying the Word of God to mining at times. And every day that you, a miner goes to mine, he does not find a diamond or a gold or silver, but he's always mining. He's always digging. And then there's those wonderful times when you find the vein of gold or you find a vein of silver. And so pray that the Lord would bless us to find some gold and some silver and some precious stones here this morning. I want to read to you a significant portion of Scripture here to set up the, the message this morning. And the title of the message is, Abraham Goes in Faith. We've been speaking from the Great Hall of Faith for a number of weeks. We began in the foyer of faith in Hebrews, the 10th chapter. And if you recall, if you've been listening or able to listen back to some of those messages, when we entered the Great Hall of Faith, we need to have the comprehension that it's all about Christ. It's not just about who these people were, because that can be intimidating. And we can think, I can never be an Abel, I can never be an Enoch, I can never be a Noah. But that's not the point of the Hall of Faith. The point of the Hall of Faith is set up in Hebrews 10 where it tells us that the object, the substance, everything about the Hall of Faith is Jesus Christ. He is the subject, substance, the foundation, everything that we have is in Christ. So as we go through the Hall of Faith, we've been looking for Christ, right? And it's interesting that the name of Jesus Christ was unknown in the Old Testament. You recall when we entered the Hall of Faith there in Hebrews 11, the first person that you see is you hanging in that mirror if you believe in the creator in creation by faith we comprehend there is a creation that the world worlds were framed by the word of god if you want to know where christ is and that it's very easy to identify christ he is the living word by which the existence of the worlds came into be because he spoke he's that powerful if you want to know where Christ is in the example of Abel, we find in faith that Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice. What did he offer? He offered a lamb. And Christ is the lamb of God. We read about Enoch, who was probably the most intimidating one of all of the, the, in the hall of faith because he was translated to heaven. He didn't die. There's three people in their bodily forms today in heaven. That's Enoch, Elijah, and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's intimidating, isn't it? But the purpose is not to intimidate. The purpose of Enoch is to see that he pleased God by walking with God in faith. If you want to know, you say, well, that's kind of hard to see Jesus in that one. Not, not if you look carefully at the loving relationship that Enoch had with the Lord. If you want to see Jesus in the relationship of Enoch and the Lord, it's in the love that they had for one another. It was love that translated Enoch to heaven. It was love that enabled Enoch to walk in the, in the face of a terrible culture where wicked things were going on all around him. And he preached the truth, too, in love. See, the token that you see in the life of Enoch is the love of all loves, the Lord Jesus Christ. For Enoch, personally, you see the Lord Jesus Christ as he was the upper taker, not the undertaker. But he was the upper taker that took Enoch to heaven without dying. And we came on down and we looked at Noah. And we saw that by faith, Noah was moved in fear, in respect of God. He believed the warning of God and he moved and he saved his house. And the token of Noah's faith is the ark. You see the ark. And you say, well, what about for us? What's the lesson in that for us? Jesus is our ark. You understand? 
He is the deliverance that we have from this present evil world. He is the deliverance that He will, he will ship us to heaven one day. Now we see Abraham. And let's read several verses. We're going to skip verse 11 and a couple verses there because I want to come back to Sarah on another day. We'll see how far we get with these three examples of Abraham going in faith. By faith, verse 8, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Drop on down to verse 13. These all died in faith. Now, the all refers to all of the ones that we've looked at. But specifically, we're speaking of Abraham, who died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. And were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is an heavenly country, Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. And by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. That's a lot of verses. And we have a lot to say about those verses. And that's a little more than we normally read. But I'll just go ahead and tell you, that's the most perfect part about this message today is the reading of the Word of God. So you can rejoice in that. Now I want you to think about Abraham. He was called by God to go. We're going to come back to the part there that relates to Sarah somewhere down the road. But we want to focus on those three aspects of Abraham being called to go. First, he was called to go out. Then he was called to go roundabout, to wander about, to travel about. And then he was called to go up when he took Isaac up onto the mountain. Abraham goes in faith. So let's consider first, Abraham was probably around 70 years old whenever he was called to go out. Now some of you may be, a few of you may be over 70. Some of you may be approaching 70. Uh, Sister Tracy gets upset at me all the time because I'll, I'll say, you know, we're both about to turn 50. You know, we got about 20 good years left. <laughs> you know, that's probably, it's probably a statement of non-faith. She doesn't like to hear that. Uh, but Abraham was just getting started at age 70. He lived, I get it, he lived 175 and probably the being a 70, I think, probably being a 70-year-old in those days was probably more like being a 40-year-old. I mean, who knows? The Lord knows. But when, in our culture, in our day and time, when you're approaching 70, I mean, you're getting in the retirement age, thinking everything's settled down, I'm just going to kick back, I'm going to garden, I'm going to farm, I'm going to ride my tractor, I'm going to you know, uh, cut the grass, I'm just going to take it easy. Well, here is Abraham. He's around 70. And I say 70 because I think there was about a three to five year period there. If you'll read carefully Genesis 11 and Genesis 12, it looks like there was a, some period of time where God was very patient with Abraham and going out. So if you feel intimidated by Abraham, listen, Abraham was a sinner just like us. I can't fully express to you and tell you why God chose Abraham out of all the people on the earth at that time. And there were millions, possibly billions, but God is sovereign and God made the right choice. I know that. 
But Abraham was just a sinner. He didn't have anything above or below anybody else. As a matter of fact, he's living in a pagan heathen nation, Ur of the Chaldees, where we know for a fact that they worship false gods, even that short period of time after the flood. You know, and let me just say this as a side note. One of the things that they worshiped in those days, and you could see how it would be easy to do this. The men like Noah and the men like Shem, Noah's son, Ham and Japheth, those men lived hundreds of years. So many of those men saw some of their children and grandchildren die before they died. So you could see how it would be. If, if my great-great-grandfather was still alive, who let's say great-great-great-grandfather, who probably came over from Scotland, or, or at least came down from South Carolina years and years ago, the days of the American Revolution, <laughs> or after, if, if that guy was still alive, I'm going to tell you, I'd be tempted to worship him. Wouldn't you? If you knew your great, however many greats, grandfather, it, it'd be tempting. This guy's never going to die. <laughs> so false worship came into vogue in those days by the fact that these men, these patriarchs, lived so long. Now, Abraham lived 175, but that was nothing compared to, to Noah. Noah lived to 900 plus years. Don't, don't disbelieve the, the factual stuff like that in the Bible. They really lived that long. They didn't have coronavirus or cancer as bad. You know, you could see the, how leprosy came on the rise during those years. That was probably their main, that was their main uh, disease that affected the, the society and the culture the worst. But they didn't have so much as we have today. So you think about that. If you weren't affected by the diseases and things, I mean, you might live a hundred years longer than you live now. And you may think, well, that'd be great. I don't think it would be. I tell you, if you have, a, if you have the loose grip on this world like Abraham had in faith, you'll be ready to get out of here when it comes time to get out of here. <laughs> because this is in your home, child of God. So Abraham is called to go out when he's living in Ur of the Chaldees. And it's interesting. I want to look at Acts, the seventh chapter, because I never noticed this before. And this is the account where Stephen, who is about to die by stoning, by the way, preaches one of the most beautiful sermons about the history of Israel. And Stephen starts in Acts, the seventh chapter with Abraham. And I want you to notice what he says. I want you to notice how meticulous Stephen is with the sequence of what's going on in Abraham's life. He's very careful. And by the way, this supports what I'm telling you, that Abraham was probably around 70 or 72 when the Lord first called him to go out. And it just took him a little time to get started. And he went a little ways, and then he goes a little further. So in Acts the seventh chapter, let's read what Stephen says. And by the way, this is Stephen's eulogy. He's preaching his own eulogy here. And he begins in verse 2. He says, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Charon or Haran. You'll see that in Genesis, the 11th chapter, that at some point, Abraham's father, after one of Abraham's brothers died, it says that they removed, they all removed themselves from Ur of the Chaldees over to Haran. And they lived there until Abraham's father died. So you see, can y'all picture that? Can y'all identify with that? Abraham, had, the God of glory, appears to Abraham. He's not appearing on the street corner to everybody. So whatever context that was in, let's, if you'll allow me just a little foolishness, you know, Abraham is off, maybe, maybe he's at his job, or maybe he's off by himself meditating. And the God of glory appears to him. Notice, that is Jesus, by the way. God's glory is Jesus Christ. The fullness of the Godhead is in Christ. And so Jesus, in one form or another, 
appears to him in glory. And he says, I want you to leave your land. I want you to leave your family. And I want you to go into a place I'm going to show you. So you, can y'all picture Abraham coming home? He's settled. He's 70 years old. He's probably close to retirement age. He's a successful businessman. And they're living in a very nice city. It's believed historically that they had a lot of luxuries in that city. You know, running water and so forth. They weren't just primitive out there living in the sense that they didn't, you know, they didn't have amenities and things. So Abraham goes home, and I'm sure he probably told Sarah, Sarai first. He says, hey, honey, I want to tell you something. I'm excited. <laughs> tell me, what is it? The God of glory, Jehovah God, appeared to me today. You know, she's probably already thinking, oh, boy, he's been, he's been hitting the wine a little too hard. <laughs> you know, he, he's a little too excited. He's having another vision. And he says, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. The God of glory appeared to me today. And you know what he told me? He told me that we need to leave. We need to leave our family. We need to go out. That was probably a difficult thing to digest, right? And I know that it was because we see that Terah, Abram's father, loads up everybody. God said to leave your family. And so he loads up everybody and he moves them all over to Haran. I'm sure Terah was probably thinking, well, that'll be good enough for God. You know, we've left, you know. But it wasn't good enough for God. Because God wanted Abram to leave his family. I think one of the reasons that he wanted him to leave was because he wanted Abraham to get away and make a fresh start away from the idolatrous patriarchal worship that was going on there. He wanted him to come out of the group that he was in and come over here so God could teach him what he wanted him to know. And over the next 50 years, 45 to 50 years, you have these seven different appearances. If you throw Melchizedek in there, it could be eight. But for sure, seven different appearances that occurs in Abraham's life when God comes to him directly and gives him a little more information. I want you to know that God didn't give Abraham all the information at one time. I don't think he could have handled it. So God gives a little more and a little more. The first thing he says is, I want you to go out. And notice what it says, what Stephen says in verse 3. It says, God appeared to Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Charon and said to him, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into the land which I will show thee. And then it says he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Charon. And from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land. Stephen is saying the land that we are in now. Isn't that something? So you see, Abraham, just to be in, hopefully it's encouraging to you and me. Sometimes the Lord leads us to do things and it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. Now, I don't believe the Lord has led any of us to take a child up onto the mountain and lay it down and lay that, that child down and sacrifice that child. That's a, that's a big deal right there. You know, God's not, even, not calling us to do that. You know, you say, well, why wouldn't he call us to do that? Because he's already laid his own son down. That's not necessary anymore, see? And furthermore, he was teaching Abraham a lesson of trust and faith. So it's not like the Lord is, is moving us to do things that are beyond comprehension, right? Think about it. If the Lord only ever required you in faith to go to church every Sunday, to study your Bible every day, to pray to Him, to raise your family if you have one in a way that pleases Him, that's not a lot to ask, is it? It's not like He's asking you to go up and lay your child down, tie your child up and lay them down and sacrifice on an altar, see? See, God's a reasonable God. And you say, well, this was unreasonable for him to ask him to leave his family. Listen, we can all experience the similar things that Abraham has experienced in different ways. You know, in my own personal experience, when, when the Lord showed me how foolish I was, and by the way, I've told you before, it was through the foolishness of preaching that I stand before you here today. 
The Lord sent a minister of the gospel to preach to me the truth of God's word and convict me. That minister didn't know he was convicting me. The Spirit was convicting me. But it convicted me. And you see, my journey of going in faith led me back home. I was far away and it led me back home. See, there's no, you don't have to say, oh, well, the Lord's going to lead me out here to this other country. or over." Here. That's not the point of what is being taught here. The point is, listen to the Lord, listen to His Word, listen to, listen to the preaching of the gospel, and hearken unto what the Lord says. That's all that Abraham did. God said, go. And Abraham went. Now remember, it took him about four or five years. But when Terah died, and by the way, side note here, he still took some of his family with him. He still took Lot with him, which was a mistake. Lot proves to be nothing but trouble for Abraham. Now, I understand Abraham had a sense of he's my son. I've kind of adopted him because my brother died. I get that. But the Lord would have taken care of Lot. You see, Abraham was discounting the fact that the Lord's able of taking care of Lot as well as he is able to take care of Abraham. You see that? So around 70 years old, he's called to go out. And you think about God's angle of coming to Abraham and saying, I want you to leave. And then you think about Abraham's angle of that, going and telling Sarah, we got to leave. Well, that kind of gets messed up and his father and all of them move. And so finally, he leaves and he goes into the promised land, the future promised land. That's why it's called the promised land, right? Because God said, I promise to give it to you. So he finally gets down in the promised land. You think everything's going to be great. (laughs) Well, not really. Because in Genesis, the 12th chapter, you read that Abram gets down into the promised land. God appears to him again, the second appearance. It says in verse 6, Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sychem, unto the plain of Morah. The Canaanite was in the land, and the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give his land, this land. That's a little more information, by the way. And there built Abraham an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him, and he removed this to Bethel. Everything's going great. Abram's doing what God told him to do. And it says in verse 9 that Abraham, Abram journeyed going on still toward the south, and there was a famine, and Abram went down into Egypt. You see, Abram's not perfect. See, we see the good with the bad in the Word of God. We've all got the good and the bad. Let's just hope and pray that the good, <laughs> that we can have, make more good decisions than we make bad decisions, right? So Abram's not perfect. He goes down into Egypt, and you know what happens there in Egypt? They gain, unfortunately, a little slave girl. Her name was Hagar. And you know what happens there eventually. That's another story for another day. But Hagar was a snare in the house of Abraham. So you see, Abram's not perfect. When the famine came, he didn't trust God. God would have sent him manna from heaven to keep him alive if God had needed to do that. So when it comes to us and we see Abraham going, notice that Abram went out not even knowing where he was going. You know, a couple years ago, 2017, three years ago, we went out west. And you can ask Sister Tracy, man, I had that, that planned out almost to the minute of where we were going to arrive and when and what we were going to be doing. I mean, I'm just OCD that way. That's just, I got to have it planned. I knew where we were. I knew that if we drove for 10 hours on this day, then we'd have to drive nine the next day and then we'd be at um, Sequoia. And it was a lot of driving. I had it all meticulous planned out. The kids said, where are we going, Daddy? We're going to Sequoia. We'd leave Sequoia. Where are we going, Daddy? We're going over here to uh, Ventura Beach. Where are we going after Ventura? We're going up Pacific Coast 1. We're going to be in San Francisco. We're going to go see the, the sites there in San Francisco. Then we're going to go back over across to Yosemite. I mean, I, even in my mind to this day, I mean, it, it's just embedded in my mind because I worked on it for months. But what if I had sat down with the kids? I said, kids, okay, we're fixing to go on a trip. And 
Sister Tracy there, oh great, where are we going to go? I don't know. <laughs> we're just going to go. What? Up north, south, east, west? I don't know. We're just going to go. That's what Abraham did with Sarah. Well, okay, sweetie, you say we got to go, we got to leave our kindred, we got to leave our family, but where are we going to go? Well, that's the trick, honey. I don't know. God didn't tell me. You see Sarah just going, oh boy, I can't believe I married this guy. <laughs> you see, Abram went out not knowing. I tell you, that's a lesson in faith, child of God. There's many of you sitting here today, you don't know yet who you're going to marry. Am I right? You may think, well, I'm going to marry this person, or I want to marry that person, or this looks like a good prospect. But you know, there's an element there that you just don't know, because as I say around our house all the time, and many a slip, twixt a cup and a lip. That's not in the Bible, that's just one of my little sayings. Many a slip, twixt a cup and a lip. You think it's going to be this way, it may wind up this way. Y'all figure that one out later and go, oh, I see what he means. <laughs> my kids still do that. I still don't understand what he means. You know, you think, I'm going to be, I'm going to be this. I'm going to be this in a career. If you'd have told me that I was going to be a practicing attorney as far as secular goes uh, in 1993, 94, 95, 96, 97, 98, I'd say, you're crazy. I don't want to practice law. I want to do something else. See, you don't know. You don't know what the future holds. Another of my favorite savings is you never know what a day may hold. See, twists and turns and curves come along. People say this, then they say something else. You see, you just don't know. I tell you, child of God, you need faith to find out who that person is that you're going to marry. You need faith in the Lord to find out what that career is going to be. I need faith in the Lord to, to know what I'm going to do tomorrow. You see, Lord, guide me. I think I'm going to get up and go to work and go do the things that I do. You know, but there may be something that comes up. Oh, my goodness. What about what we've experienced over the last three to, uh, three to four months with coronavirus and with lawlessness and rioting and all the things that are going on? Who would have dreamed back in January when everything was just going along so smooth? <laughs> Who would have dreamed that these curves would have come? We need faith, child of God. I believe that's why the Lord has led me to preach on faith. Faith in the Lord. The foundation of who is what? It's Jesus Christ, right? Learning more about the Savior. Learning more about the Son of God. Learning more about how He loves you and how He desires fellowship with you. You see, that's what happened whenever God came to Abraham. Whenever God came to him, God desired fellowship with Abraham. And Abraham reciprocated fellowship. How? By just doing what God told him to do. You want to reciprocate fellowship with God? Just do what God tells you to do. You say, what is that, Brother Tim? Get in the Word and you'll find out real quickly. And it's kind of convicting too. See, God called upon Abraham to go, to reposition himself. Do you need to reposition yourself in some areas? So ah, I've, got it, I've got it going pretty good. What about from pride to humility? That's a repositioning, is it not? To reposition from pride to humility. That's from this to down on your knees, you see? What about repositioning from error to truth? You say, I don't have any error in my life. You just told a lie. <laughs> We've all got error in our life. We've all got untruth in our life. Lord, help me to reposition myself like Abraham repositioned himself on your word. Help me reposition back from error to truth. What about from fear to holy boldness? Oh, how many of God's children are terrified out there? How many of God's children are, are in fear at this very moment, trembling and sweating and worried about what may come tomorrow or today? Listen, there's a, we need to be responsible. No question about that. But we need to have the same kind of grip on this life that Abraham had, which was a loose grip. It says that he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. 
You see, he looked for something other than this life. This is not the first time that a pandemic has occurred. Do you understand that before even the Black Death, before the Black Death, the plague came along in the Middle Ages, before that, about 100 years before, there was a great famine in Europe that killed 30 to 40% of the population of Europe. Are y'all listening? That's a lot of people. And then the plague comes along 100 years. You know, those folks probably thought the end of the world was upon them. Famine, and the grandfather tells us about the famine that occurred where 30 to 40% of his family died. And then now we're in the middle of the Black Death, the Great Plague, and people are just falling out like flies. Spanish flu, 1917, 1918, at least 7 million people died. Maybe 50 million. It's between 7 and 50 million. That's a pretty big variable, isn't it? (laughs) What that means is there were people that died that they didn't have the statistics to record. That's what they died of, but it's probably likely that they died of that. Now, put that in perspective in terms of the statistics that are out there today. And I'm not minimizing the danger. I'm not minimizing how scary it is. It is scary. Nobody, we've had, I mean, at our own house, it's been so close around us from Brother Rodney, Sister Terry, Mr. Ray, Ms. Mary. I mean, it's just been all, the DA's office, just, that's, that's 30 feet away from my office. I don't want it. And I'm not going to go around licking handrails, are you? <laughs> I'm going to be responsible. I'm going to try to follow the, the uh, commands of the, the law as much as I can. We can't lose our mind over something like that. It's not the first time pandemic has come. And by the way, it's not the first time that an economy has been stopped on a dime. Have y'all ever read the account of Moses? God stopped the economy of Egypt on its nose. You see, this isn't the first time that an economy has ever just gone whoop and stopped. Now listen, I'm not telling you that God has stopped the economy. I'm not telling you that we're under the the sustained judgment of God, but I have told you this, that when you find one possible judgment event, it makes you go, huh? But when you got three, you got to step back and say, we're under the judgment of God. It means God has just stepped back. It doesn't mean that he fabricated or made the, the virus. It doesn't mean that he tweaked with the economy. It doesn't mean that he sent folks out to go and be lawless and riot. It doesn't mean that, but it does mean this. That when God steps back and he says, okay, if you're going to act like that, I'm going to take my toys and I'm going to go play somewhere else. If you're going to be like that, listen, you may get tired of me saying this, but you need to hear it. We've got so much blood on our hands as a nation. You see, others want to say, well, our nation and our forefathers, this, that, or the other. Let me tell you, since 1974 or whatever the year was, we've got so much blood on our hands as a nation. Those aborted babies that have been murdered and killed, just like they tossed the babies in the fire to Baal for the glory of a false god. So babies have been tossed in the fire and they've they've been killed and murdered to a false god. You know what the false god is? A self. I'm more important than that baby. See, we got so much blood on our hands. It's a wonder God didn't step away from us years ago. But that is not to say... That God's not with His people. And He's not going to protect His people and guide His people even in the midst of trouble. You see? That's encouraging to know. You know, God didn't speak to the nations whenever He spoke to Abraham. He spoke to Abraham directly. And we're here today preaching about a man that existed thousands of years ago. Isn't that amazing? And his faith that where he followed the Lord is an example for us today. When God said go, Abraham repositioned himself. You need to reposition yourself. From pride to humility, from error to truth, from fear to holy boldness, from a victim mentality to being a victor through Christ. 
you need to reposition yourself from disobedience to discipleship? Think about it. You need to reposition yourself even sometimes to follow the Lord and follow the truth. You may have to forsake your family a little bit. Walk away. I'll tell you what. The Lord's worthy to walk away from anything. He's worthy. You see? Back in Hebrews 11th chapter, it says in verse 9, By faith he sojourned. By faith Abraham sojourned in the land of promise. As in a strange country. Dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and with Jacob. Now you think about that. If you own some land and you were sitting there one day and you looked out and you saw this little caravan pulling up onto your acreage, you might think, well, that, there's the gypsies moving in. I mean, you know, Abraham was like a gypsy. Well, what are you doing here? This is my land. Well, you know, the Lord told me to come and wander around. <laughs> That'd be unnerving, wouldn't it? Now I get it. Back in those days, they weren't quite title-minded like we are with land today. Like there were vast open areas where different people would graze their, their cattle and so forth. But Abraham, here he comes. He's just wandering around. He's on a lifelong camping trip. <laughs> That's something, isn't it? Now, he didn't have the 35-foot RV either with the shower and the flushing toilet and the sewer line and the electrical line. You know, they're traveling around. It says he dwelled in tents and tabernacles. Now, they were nice, no doubt. And they had carpets on the floor. But they were living around, in one sense, kind of like hobos. I mean, but they are very wealthy hobos. <laughs> he was called to go walk about after Lot left. You remember? Abraham stands there. This is in Genesis 13. Abraham says, look, we're brothers. We don't need to argue. We don't need to fuss. That's a good, that's a good attitude to have, right? That could, be, that could be a really good instruction and maybe a, a daily instruction for siblings, right? You know, we'd be brothers. We'd be sisters. Let's don't argue. <laughs> you go this way, I'll go that way. It doesn't mean move out. Maybe go to your room. The other goes to their room. Abraham, Abraham says, Lot, if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And so, of course, Lot makes the horrible decision to move towards Sodom. And you see how that turns out years later, about 20 years later. But after Lot leaves, after God has Abraham now in a position that he wanted him to be in, probably about 10 or 12 years before. Then God says to Abraham in Genesis 13, he says, I want you to travel about. Listen to this, okay? Abraham says, Lot, if you go right, I'll go left. If you go left, I'll go right. You know, I won't possess what you've got. You won't possess what I've got. God comes to Abraham after Abraham settles that with Lot and Lot leaves. And God says, Abraham, look north, south, east, west. It's yours. How about that? You think God honored the choice that Abraham made to have peace with his family, to make peace with Lot? God said, look, north, south, east, and west, everything you see is yours. Now travel about and take a look at it. Take a look at your land. He said, I'm going to give it to your seed. I'm going to give it to your posterity. By the way, side note, in case you don't remember, Sarah, his wife, is barren. They don't have any children. He's probably 80 years old by now. Sarah's 70. So... Notice from Abraham's perspective, he has not received title to the land. From God's perspective, in God's mind, in God's covenant, God says, it's already yours, buddy. It's already yours. Nobody's going to mess with you. Go wander around wherever you want to. And about 400, 500 years later, 430 years later, God fulfills that by giving it to the Israelites. See, But from Abraham's perspective, he's wandering around in an area that he really doesn't own. You see? See his attitude though? It says in verse 10 of Hebrews 11, for he looked for a city. There's an old song, an old southern gospel song that I always love to hear him sing. I think the cathedral sang it. It was called Looking for a City. And I love to hear that high tenor go up and sing that looking for a city part. It's beautiful. 
But I always wondered as a child, what does that mean? What kind of city are they looking for? I live in the country. I don't really like the city. And I understand now that he's speaking by faith that it's a song of faith. And it means that he's looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. <laughs> the song we've heard, I seek a city built above as wide as it is tall. Its cornerstone is laid in love. And jasper are the walls. Pure gold is made as clear as glass, but none of this compares. For the glory of that city is because the Lord is there. (laughs) Amen? Amen. You see, that's the city we look for. That's the city that Abraham was looking for. Abraham was wandering around and he was thinking, when is the Lord going to come back down to me again? He didn't come the next day. He didn't come the next year. But through the course of about 45 years, you see the Lord appearing to Abraham at least seven, maybe eight times. He's wandering around. Lord, when? Lord, when? Are we that way? Can we not identify with that? Do you go through your days sometimes and you look at the next bad news on the news and you think, my goodness, Lord, when? (laughs) Lord, when are you going to come and settle all this? When are you going to come and there won't be any more assaulting? There won't be any more rioting? There won't be any more child abuse? There won't be any more all of these issues that we see? There won't be any more coronavirus? There won't be any more cancer? There won't be... When, Lord? That's what Abraham did as he wandered. He was looking for a city, you see? He was looking for hope there in the Lord. And it was all up, you see? Lord said, wander around this land. I'll be with you. And Abraham's just looking. Lord, when are you coming? When are you coming? When are you coming? That's a great attitude to have, is it not? I tell you, based on the authority of the Word of God, you can have that attitude. Just like Abraham had that attitude. You can go through the day with a smile on your face, child of God, and not down in the mully grubs because of the next bad news, because of the next virus, because of the next tragedy, because of the next trouble that comes along. Because I promise you, based on the words of Jesus Christ Himself, that trouble's coming. He said in John 16 and 33, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. That means to... It doesn't mean just to blithely go around looking foolish with a smile on your face. (laughs) It doesn't mean that. But to be serious and understand that even in the midst of trouble, even in the midst of trial, the Lord's still on His throne. And when, Lord? When are You coming? You're going to settle it all. That's what Abraham's faith led him to do. He looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. It says in Genesis the 13th chapter that after the Lord told him to look north, south, east, west, He said, now go and travel. <laughs> and so he traveled. He removed his tent and he dwelt in the plains of Mamre. And he built an altar to the Lord. Don't ever forget that. Abraham's building altars all the time. Abraham had a loose grip on this, this world. He didn't even have title to the land that he was in. But he trusted in the promise of God that his offspring would have title to the land. But now remember, Abraham wasn't perfect. <laughs> even in Genesis 20, we read, you know, Abraham... By the way, when he went down into Egypt that first time, he lied about Sarah. He said, she's my sister. And, you know, that didn't go well for the Egyptians, for the Pharaoh. And they came out. Pharaoh was mad at him because he lied. Well, here we find in Genesis, the 20th chapter, Abraham does the same thing again. He goes and hangs out on the southern border of the, of the promised land. And there he encounters a, a king named Abimelech. He's afraid of the king and he lies again. He says, my sister. Now, don't y'all know that caused a little rub in the marriage? <laughs> I mean, I just can't imagine what kind of conversations went on around the table after Abraham had lied and said she's my sister and Abimelech took her into his harem. And nobody touched her, don't worry. Because God sent a sickness. He sent plague upon Abimelech's house. None of the women could bear any children and everybody had sores and boils. (laughs) And Abimelech, he, he's a child of God now. Abimelech, really, hey, something's wrong here. And he rebukes Abraham. He said, why'd you tell me she's your sister, man? God's going to kill me. 
And so here comes Sarah back. Take her back, man. Take her back. And y'all pictured Abraham taking her back in. I'm sorry, honey. Uh, I never dreamed they'd take you into the harem. You see, Abraham's not perfect. He's, he's, a, he's a sinner just like you and me. Don't think he's some kind of superhero. And I'm going to tell you this, too. I'll just say this. We, today, have more reason, in many ways, to be more faithful than Abraham was. Because it says... In, verse, in Hebrews 11, they, it says they had not, re- they just received the promises and they, they hadn't, excuse me, they had not received the promises. They saw them afar off. They were persuaded and they confessed. Brothers and sisters, we've received the promise of Christ. You see, we've received the resurrection. The Lord has paid for our sins and risen. We've got more reason to serve God today than Abraham did. <laughs> and somebody says, the naysayer says, oh, and if he would just appear to me in bodily form and glory like he did for Abraham, then I'd be on the right track. I'd do the right thing. Let me tell you, that's not the way God operates. <laughs> God has left you His Word so that you have a more sure word of prophecy than even God appearing to those Old Testament saints. You see, God has given you your Word. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God is the Holy Comforter that confirms His Word. And it says we have received the promises. Christ has died for your sins. And there is nothing in this world. There's no sickness, no trouble, no trial, no bullying, no rioting, no virus, or nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. You see that? We have more reason to serve God and be faithful than even Abraham did because we've seen more. Did not Jesus say that whenever he confronted Thomas? Thomas said, you know, he said, no doubting Thomas. He's a good man now. Don't, don't, we give Thomas a bad rap. We call him doubting Thomas. He was a good man. He was an apostle, but he was a sinner too. Thomas said, I will not believe unless I see the, the nail prints in his hands. Are we like that? Or the riven side? So Jesus shows up and you know what Jesus is doing? He says, touch me. Here it is. It doesn't say that Thomas even touched him. He probably did. But I just see old Thomas just hanging his head and saying, my Lord and my God, forgive me for not believing. You know what Jesus said? He said, blessed are your eyes, Thomas, because you have seen and you believe. But even more blessed are the eyes of those that have not seen me in person and believe. You hear that? Jesus pronounced a blessing upon you, child of God. If you believe that the Son of God has died for your sins and paid for your sins, and no matter what tribulation comes in this life, no matter what you have to reposition yourself with, no matter what you have to face, that the Lord says, I will not leave you or forsake you. Isn't that good news? You can smile with that information. You cannot be fearful but have holy boldness because of that. If something takes you out of this world, if it's sickness, if it's trial, if it's trouble, if it's some kind of terrible accident, if it's some kind of tribulation that comes along, if you pine away in this life and pass away, or if you go in a moment, in an instant, or if you go in your sleep and you never wake up again, I tell you, your state is better in heaven, you see. You're better off. We don't have a death wish. I tell you, I have a life wish. That's what I have. While I'm alive and my heart is beating, I want to glorify God. I want to find ways that I can honor Him. And whenever my heart stops beating, I understand I have a life wish and my life will live on because of what Christ did. You see, that's the object of our faith. You understand, let me say this too. Everything Abraham did was based on a covenant. It was covenant-based. You know, he just wasn't going off half-cocked and thinking, well, I think I'll do this. No, it was based on a covenant. God said, I've made my covenant with you. And I'm going to give you this land. And I'm going to give you a seed. In Isaac shall thy seed be called. Not in Ishmael. You see, everything he did was based on a covenant. Oh, I tell you, child of God, when you see the covenant of God, when you understand that covenant was for you as a beneficiary of God, 
And the things you do are just sweeter and sweeter because of that covenant that God would save me, that He would look upon my sinful state and say, I'm going to save Tim McCool. You see, everything Abraham did was based on a covenant. God said, I make my covenant with you. And even here today, we're still talking about Abraham. Listen, God told Abraham to walk about. Walk about. Look around. It reminds me of Psalm 48 and 12 where it says, Beautiful for situation, the city of our God. You know what the city of God is? It is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Today, it's the church. Back in those days, the city of God was Jerusalem. But we are in the heavenly Jerusalem. For 2,000 years, God has sustained His church while empires have risen and fallen. And if empires rise and fall again, God will sustain His church. Then it won't be on the front page news. It won't be on Fox or CNN. It's going to be written in the history that God keeps. Written in God's book. You see... He says, walk about Zion. Go around about her walls. Mark well her defense. Tell her towers tall. That's Psalms 48. See, God calls us to walk about Zion. Go and walk about. Look at the things of God. Look at the Word of God. Look at the people of God. Engage the Word of God. Engage the people of God. The last thing he did as we close here this morning is he called Abram to go and lay down. To go up into the mountain. To not hold on to what was the most precious thing in his life. Let me tell you something. We all are built... In sin, we are built to make things in this life the ultimate thing. You know, I've said this before, this, this little device right here, this little phone. I'm having to borrow this Tracy's this morning. <laughs> but this little phone can become an ultimate thing. Uh, a game can become an ultimate thing. Sports can become an ultimate thing. Eating can become an ultimate thing. Shopping can become an ultimate thing. Hunting can become an ultimate thing. Fill in the blank, fishing, whatever your poison might be. And some of those things in and of themselves are not necessarily poisonous, you see? But they can if they become ultimate things, I'm telling you, child of God, you're going to experience disappointment. Oh, I tell you from my own personal standpoint, music was an ultimate thing to me. My moods, this is a good indication of whether or not you've got an ultimate thing in your life. If your moods rise and fall based on whether or not your ultimate thing is going the way you think it should, then guess what? You got yourself an ultimate thing. <laughs> and I can remember what my moods would rise and fall and whether or not I was getting this verse right or do it, writing this the way I thought it ought to be and making this contact with this particular thing or that particular thing. My moods would rise and fall. Pray, praise God I had a faithful wife that didn't, didn't her, her moods didn't rise and fall with my moods. Praise God. But if your moods rise and fall based on that ultimate thing, you need to lay it down. The final appearance that God made to Abraham was in Genesis 22 where he said, Go up and offer thy son, thine only son, the most precious thing that Abraham had, his posterity, his future. And if you want to know exactly what Abraham was thinking, I'm here to tell you, in Hebrews 11th, you can read exactly what Abraham was thinking as he went up. By faith, Abraham, verse 17, when he was tried, he offered up Isaac. And it says in verse 19, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. You see, as Abraham went up there, he told the servants, he said, stay here and I and the lad will go up yonder to worship and we will come again. Did you hear that? Abraham said, we will come again. But Abraham, you know, he was torn up emotionally. He was torn up inside because he's about to have to lay down that which is precious to him. And he goes up and Isaac says, Father, I see the fire. I see the wood. I see the things that we need for worship. But where is the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide himself a lamb. They go up. He ties up Isaac, who was probably 15 to 20 years old, lays Isaac down on the altar. Abram raises the knife. He's laid down that which is precious to him. And God says, hold it. 
I see where your heart is. Where's your heart this morning, child of God? The heat shows the heart. When those things that are ultimate things to us, it might be a relationship, it might be a young man, it might be a young woman, it might be your marriage. I've told you this before, I love my wife. You'd have to be a bigger man than me to love my wife anymore. But she and I both understand that there's going to come a time when we'll be parted. I dread that time. And we all, often will kind of argue about, well, I think I'll go first. No, I think I'll go first. We don't know who's going to go first. Maybe we'll go together. Praise God, that'd be great. And as much as I love her, and as much as she loves me, and as much as she means to me, and as, hopefully as much as I mean to her, she is not an ultimate thing to me. I am not an ultimate thing to her. If something took her out of here today, God forbid. If something took me out of here today, God forbid. We do have an ultimate Savior. We have an ultimate victory. And if my wife leaves before me or I leave before she does, we know that we will see one another again in heaven. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, that enriches the love that we have. Because we try in our feeble, sinful way to make Christ the ultimate thing. I tell you, as we close, I may have shared this with you before, but it's worth sharing again. As we were all gathered there around dad's bedside and all the family was there. We knew it was just not long before he was going to leave this world. My heart was broken. I was crying. I was tearful. And it was just a few moments away. We knew. And we all had our hands on him. How precious that was. We began to sing Amazing Grace to the old tune. That'd be a good one to sing this morning, wouldn't it, Brother Jim? Hint, hint. We began to sing Amazing Grace to the old tune. I tell you, I couldn't sing. My voice was just... I had tears falling down my face. And I was just a mess. Everybody was a mess. And it was awful. It was like, Amazing Grace. It was terrible. I had my eyes on him, you know. When I saw the breath goes out of his body, I'm going to tell you right now, the Lord lifted me up and I got my voice back because I knew he was gone. I rejoiced in that moment and I got my singing voice back and I began to sing and carry it on. You know why? You know why I could do that? It's because I know that that's not the end. I know that there's something better coming for him and he's in it right now. And there's something coming better for you and for me. And it's not contained in this world. The world cannot contain it. That's why the Lord's going to have to burn up this world one day and do away with it and dissolve it because the world cannot contain what he's got in store for you. You remember that on a day-to-day basis. If there's one or more here that would like to follow the Lord, we give that opportunity.